Love and feeling I'm talking about. Your first love, the joy of your salvation. There is no greater love. I'm worthy And I'm 
honor you. We glorify our King, Lord Jesus. We're not ashamed of our King. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We worship you. We welcome you in this house this morning, Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray every heart is softened this morning to receive the Father's word. We glorify you and we thank you, Lord, for your presence in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. What we're going to do this morning is I'll have the ushers wait upon you if you need an envelope for your giving. We're going to receive Harvest Church's tithes. And then at the end of the service, and then tonight also, we'll be able to bless. You'll have an opportunity to bless Pastor Mike. Amen. There's a few mics here today. How many mics? Yeah, good name. Amen. Do you need an envelope? You raise your hand. We're so glad that you're visiting us this day. I'll tell you what, God is moving. Amen. And I want to be a part of it. the farthest today goes to Crofton. Amen. You're not a member of this church. (laughs) (laughs) St. Louis. Okay. Our guest speaker is from St. Louis. Amen. Guard your hearts from being offended, folks. (laughs) I sure... Wish we could have gotten a picture of you next time. You could you need to go into the archive and bring back a picture when he had hair down to here and he was a biker. I don't know if you were in the category of that biker, but you were still a biker. <laughs> That's hardcore, yeah. Amen. Well, Father, I thank you for our tithes this morning. I thank you, Lord. As the people tithe, the devourer is rebuked in Jesus' name. And as they give, it's given back to them, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Say this with me. I'm blessed. Amen. Amen. Uh, I picked Pastor Mike up this morning, and he made this statement. He says, we don't value friendships like we should. And we're blessed. Kathy and I have been blessed to, I don't know how far back, how many years So about, yeah, 31 years? 31 years. And uh, he pastored in Yankton for a while, and he had a great church in Harlan, Iowa, and then was in a mega church in in, um, uh, St. Joe and then St. Louis. So he's one of these guys that you can appreciate because he meditates in the Word. 
and he, the Spirit of God gives him, you know, insight. And that's what you're going to be blessed today. You're going to get a lot of insight from the Word of God. So we welcome the gift that's in Pastor Mike Plain. Amen. Did I push the right button? Oh, man, Abe, you messed me up. <laughs> oh, Lord, we'll see where this goes, okay? Um, let me just say a couple of things before we get into, I think, get into the message. You know, I, I, I appreciate... Um, Coming into a church, you tell a lot about when you do what I do and you travel and you're in a lot of different places, different churches, different cultural settings for churches. You know, churches have their own personality, you know, just like we do. We have personalities and churches have their own personality. That's why, you know, through the years, somebody would say, well, you know, like, you know, I've moved and and I was at Harvest Church, and I moved to Pennsylvania, and just church I'm going to, it's just not Harvest Church. Well, it's not supposed to be, because every church has its own personality. And so, but it's uh, it's refreshing to come into the settings and environments where the worship is about God. <laughs> You wouldn't believe how many settings I'm in where the worship is about us talking to God about us. And we wonder why he doesn't show up. He said, well, the one you're worshiping is already there. I don't need to come. And that's us. We worship ourselves. Yeah. Rather than coming into a place and realizing that you... And I say this all the time, and maybe I've said it when I've here, been here before, but... This, this time that we were just in, guess what? It's it's not for you. It's for him. You know, I pastored for 25 years. You know, I heard a lot of the, I didn't like that song. I didn't, you know, worship was too long. Worship was too short. Worship was too cold. It was too hot, you know, whatever. Well, guess what? It's not for you. Get over yourself. Now, what, what I'm, I'm about to give you, this is for you. But what we just come out of is for him. We have to learn more about it, it, our focus being on him than ourselves. We've, be, we've become such a narcissistic. I'm not talking about you all, okay? You're exempt from this. I'm just going to talk to you about it. But we, we've just become this very narcissistic lot. We're just so enamored with ourselves. We're just so caught up with our, in ourselves. You know, so we just, we just, you know, you just need to get over your bad self and, and really put your attention on him because he's the one that has the answer to your questions. He's the one that has the love that will transform your hardened heart. He's the one that has the power that will heal every aspect of your life. That's what we need to focus on. Here's the other thing when Abe and, and Brad went into that last 
song, the Lord reminded me of something that happened in 2001. Um, I, I went into this, this series of times of prayer, and um, every time that, that I was being, you know, in the room like this, it was, you know, the auditorium, sanctuary, whatever you want to call it, and praying, and, and the west wall of the church would open up. And I would see something out there. I, I called it, it was like the size of a man's hand. You know that scripture? You know? And I said, Lord, what is that? And he said, this is that which I have for you. And I said, Lord, shall I go get it? He goes, no, I'm, I'm going to bring it to you. Well, several things. One of the things I learned is that in, in God, the things that, that maybe you're looking for, desiring, whatever, there, there's times that you have to go get it, and there's times that you need to wait because God's about to bring something to you. And the challenge is if we don't discern that, then we're on our way to go get something when God's bringing it to us and we pass it. Well, I was sitting here or standing here this morning, and the Lord said this to me. He said, that which I have for him, I'm about to bring upon you. Now, I don't know that may be for you individually. It could be for you corporately. I know it's like some things I've been crying out to the Lord for. I'm like, okay, God, you know. We were t- Pastor Mike and I, maybe Kathy, I don't know when we were talking about this. Maybe it was you, just you and I, but I said, you know, this is the way I've always been since the beginning. I don't want to miss what God has. I don't want to miss what God is doing. I don't want to observe what God is doing. I want to be involved in what God is doing. I want to be involved in it. And if the Lord is saying that which I have for you, and I think the you wasn't just me. I think the you was the body of Christ is about to come upon you because we're living in days in the days right now, and what I really want to talk to you about this morning is understanding the state of Christianity and the state of the church in America. Because we, we are at the beginnings of, of, a, of a major move of God. I'm telling you this by, just by the Spirit of God and by some of the things that I'm seeing. That we're, we're at the beginnings of some major things about to happen. For the first time in decades, the global church prayer focus is on America. We of America, we've always been the ones praying for the church worldwide. But because of the state of things that are in our country right now, the global church, if you if you read or you if you listen, if you do the global church, the focus of the of the prayer of the global church that means the Christians in Iran, the Christians in China, the Christians in Europe, the Christians in, in South America and Africa. Their focus, their prayer focus is on the United States. So that tells me something's, something's, about, to, something's about to come. Okay? Now, you can you can either observe it or you can be involved in it. What do you want to do? It's up to you. 
It really is up to you. Yeah. Maybe some of you are new to this whole following Christ thing. It's okay. You just you just have to keep your hearts open to learning, to growing, to listening. You know? Right now, if you listen listen to whoever they are, the talking heads, you know, they say that the United States right now, our culture has quickly become secularized and we're now living in what's being called the post-Christian era. That's what they say, whoever they is. Okay? That's what they say. But you know... um, Well, let, let me let me back up because I'll get way ahead of myself and then I'll be in trouble because in myself, not from him. He gets in trouble from Kathy and then, you know. Sandy, it's so good to see you. I've known Sandy for how long as I've known you guys? 31 years. That, and, and here's how I know Sandy. Sandy always kept Pastor Mike in line. Because it took more than just Kathy to be able to do it. He's, I don't know, has he mellowed out any? A little, yeah. You should have known him 31 years ago. Oh my gosh, you think he's on right now? Yeah, 31 years ago. We had us sometimes, didn't we? Yeah. See, the, the thing about when God begins to move, he, He'll bring things, He'll use our past to for us to, uh, to kind of try to understand some things, but He never does it the same way way always and I think back to those early years those years where you know we had the conference of Midwest and, and I think God moved powerfully didn't he in those times a lot of people's lives were greatly affected maybe a lot of you are here because of somebody I don't, I don't know somebody. and so I think about those things and it's like you know, <clears throat> I think God's going to do some of those things again, but in a fresh way. In a fresh way. So we hear all this about, you know, secularization, post-Christianity, all those things. And and, and I think um, one of the things that 2020 did, I think, is a great revealer. 2020 was revealed a lot. One of the things that it did is it, it it leveled the playing field for all of us. It really did. It leveled the playing field, at least in the church world. I'll give you an example. So I, <clears throat> I have a church I work with in Omaha. They're a church plant. They're a little, maybe coming up on two years old now. But when this all hit, they were just a little over a year old. So they're calling, you know, what do we do, all of this stuff, you know, because we can't meet and everything. And, and so they're trying to figure out how to do this without being able to meet. 
And somebody sent me a video clip of Ed Young. If you, any of you are familiar with Ed Young, has a big church down in Texas, about 20, 22,000. And so they video clip of Ed Young standing on the platform speaking to an empty auditorium. <laughs> I thought, well, this pastor in Nebraska with 50 people is speaking to an empty auditorium just like this pastor that has a church of 20,000 is speaking. So our level, what, what happened is this leveled and revealed some things to all of us. You know, and I think that's what 2020 did is it, is it uh, made us realize some. You know, Jesus said this. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. Meaning what? There are just certain aspects of our life that those natural things can't sustain. The tangible natural things can't sustain them. It can't produce and, and fill us. And that's, I think, some of what happened is that we got so inclined to our systems and structures in the church world that we got away from the importance of understanding the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life. I mean, I work with church planters all the time, and there's church planting organizations, and God bless them, that's good to everything. But, but what's happened is that those systems and structures have superseded the place of the Spirit of God in our lives. And what happened in 2020 is all those system and structures got demolished. They got deconstructed. And it's like all of a sudden I start getting calls, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? I told them two things. I said, one is, if anybody tells you this is exactly what you need to do, you need to turn and run the opposite direction as fast as you can because nobody, including me, knows exactly what to do. I said, the second thing is I can tell you who to listen to who knows exactly what to do, and that is the Holy Spirit. So that means you better get into the place of prayer where maybe it might have been a good idea you should have been for the last year. Whoa, what a canny idea. In the church world, in the body of Christ, that we would be in the place of prayer. And for those that were in the place of prayer... They spent less time reacting, more time responding to all of what happened in 2020. I got so many calls from leaders that are like, after, at about, in about September of October of last year, I was getting these calls. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. One, I had a, a level of empathy for them in one, one aspect. The other aspect is, is I, I wanted to slap them. I really did. Because we should never be caught off guard like we were. Look at the, from the Scripture. Look at this. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Sorry, I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. Everybody there? Therefore, preparing your minds for action being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, preparing your minds 
for action, not reaction, for action. If we were prepared, we wouldn't have reacted like we did. Because preparation allows you to act, or what I call respond. There's a big difference between responding and reacting. Years ago, when I was pastoring, when I was in St. Joe, I was leaving the church one day, I was going to a meeting, and the Spirit of God spoke to me, and He says, you react too much. I said, no, I don't. (laughs) He just got real quiet. He said, if you will learn to respond rather than to react. Where he took me over to Mark. He's, well, here's what he said. He says, I want you to go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, so I did that. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm not, not all one day, okay. So I'm too spiritual. But over a series of days, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and got nothing. Read it again. Okay, so I did a series. And then now we're going weeks reading it. Read it the second time, got nothing. Third time I'm reading it through, and I got to Mark chapter 2, and it's the account of where Jesus is in the back of the boat. Remember that? The storm comes up. The disciples, these hardened fishermen, they're out bailing the waters. They're like, wake Jesus up. We're going down with the ship. Jesus stands up and he says this, peace be still. And when I read that, the Spirit of God said to me, if you will learn to respond in life rather than react, you'll live with more peace in your life. So I'm like, oh, wow, that's good. So that very day, that very day, I get a call. My um, executive assistant says, you have a call. It's this person. And I was like, oh, great, because this was a person I just had to fire. And, and this person was my best friend's mom, who I had to fire from off staff. That makes for great friendships. And, and don't, don't, when I say this, I'm not saying this in any demeaning right way, but she was, um, they were Hispanic. Have you ever been around a mad Hispanic woman? Hell hath no fury. So I pick up the phone and I said, I said her name. Her name is Maggie. I said, Maggie. And I mean, she lit into me in for at least four minutes. I don't think she took a breath. I've never heard anybody yell and say names and call people the names that she called me without taking a breath. I mean, she, she I was the most deplorable human being that ever walked God's green earth. I was all these things. She just blah, 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 blah. And so I literally did this. I took the phone and I did this. I said, Holy Spirit, how do I respond to this? Because my neck was getting real hot, which means Mike's about to lose his temper. Yeah. And he said, all I heard was this, these words, love never fails. So I brought the phone back to my ear just as she was taking a breath. And I was like, that was my moment. So I began to talk to her. And tell her how much I loved her, and I was sorry that I had to do what I did, and, and on and on and on. That's what, and by the time we were done, you know what? She was inviting me over for dinner. 
And you never, never miss an opportunity to eat at Maggie's house. Because she was one of the most amazing cooks. And so I learned something from that. And so what, what I saw coming through 2020 is so much of the body of Christ was reacting things. Why? Because they, they, didn't, they hadn't prepared their mind. Now, here's something interesting about this scripture. When Peter said this, he said, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded. What's that word sober-minded? That phrase right there means this, not intoxicated with fear and anxiety. Not intoxicated with fear and anxiety. And what did we see rampant, not only in our culture, but I saw more rampant in the body of Christ was fear and anxiety. And I thought this should not be so. Because here, he said, preparing your minds. How do we prepare our minds? When you set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what this began to speak to me was that there was too much of, in the body of Christ, a lack of the revelation of Jesus. Of a lack of the revelation of who Jesus is. See, what, what, what we've done is we've through, and I don't even know how we got here. I do. I kind of do. But we've got to this place where we, we know about Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. See, I just met, it's Bobby, right? I just met Bobby. Now, I know about Bobby because Mike, Pastor Mike told me a little bit about you. We have some similarity of background, bikers, drugs, the whole thing. Yeah. So I know a little bit about you, but I don't know you. Now, Pastor Mike, I know him. I could, I could tell you some stories about him. See the difference? Do you know about Jesus or do you know him? Because the revelation or the depth that you know him will be what will sustain you in the times and the challenges that come in life. And, and we've gotten satisfied to just about knowing about the things of God rather than knowing God. Well, the thing about it is, is that when God begins to move, we don't recognize him because we don't know him. That's why I'm saying I, I, I am seeing some elements that I know of God and in, in what God has done that's telling me that we are in the precipice. We are at the beginning stages of a great awakening. Now, look, look, listen to this. Let me just give you some evidence, okay? Evidence. It's good to have, right? So in the 18th century... These two French Enlightenment philosophers, if any of you remember your history or study or any in the French Enlightenment period, and this really how, you know, the whole movement of 
more towards naturalism, all that stuff, fancy stuff. In the 18th century, two, these two guys, Voltaire and Diderot, said this, that religion would be gone by the 19th century. Guess what happened? So we're talking about, you know, 1600, 17. Guess what happened in the 1700s? First Great Awakening. George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley. They said religion was going to be gone. Great Awakening happens. In the 19th century, get this. This is, I found this interesting. A man by the name of Augusta Comte. Any of you guys, anybody like to read philosophy or anything? Comte. Augusta Comte. You know what he did? He planted atheist churches around the world. Isn't that an oxymoron? Atheist churches. Atheist churches. Planted atheist churches around the world. He said this, that Paris, the cathedrals in Paris would be empty by the 20th century because Christianity would be dead. Guess what happened? 1850, Charles Finney in the Second Great Awakening. So I'm reading things like this. And I'm hearing, you know, the Christianity, you know, America is becoming quickly, like France and Germany, we're becoming a post-Christian, which, by the way, post-Christian doesn't mean non, doesn't mean that there, there's no Christian. What, what post-Christianity means is we want all the attributes of the kingdom without the king. That's what it means. We are now living in the day where our generation, especially younger generations, are saying, we want you to lead us, but don't you dare tell us what to do. Those are elements of post-Christianity. Those are signposts. We're living in a society today. They, they, want, they want leadership. But they, I mean, all you've got to do is watch the news and you see it all over. Don't you dare tell us what to do. My youngest daughter has just got a new job, and she's going through orientation. And so she was telling me she's been on these Zoom calls for all these new employees. And so the one day she said, she goes, first of all, I can't believe how some of these people are showing up to the Zoom call dressed. And so the one day they spent, you know, the, the person, the HR person taking them through all their orientation gives them the dress code, which means no hoodies, all this stuff and everything, because half of the people in the Zoom call were in hoodies and all this stuff, you know. So she said the next day, you know, they're on another Zoom call with this same HR person. She goes, guess what? All the people that were on hoodies the day before and hoodies again the next day. She's telling me this, and I'm like, well, it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's an evidence of the culture that we are living in. It's just, I want you to lead me, but don't you dare tell me what to do. Don't you dare tell me what to do. I was just talking to Abe before the service. I said, you know, I'm 67 years old. Soon to be, uh, this fall I'll be 68 years old. 68 usually comes after 67. Um, I went to school in Iowa, so, you know, the math and all that. But anyway. I said, you know, at, th at this stage of the game for me, I realize the imperativeness of accountability. 
I, I feel like I need to be more accountable today, have accountability in my life today than I did 20 years ago. Why is that? Because at, at 67 years old, I don't like anybody telling me what to do. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. They'd say, yeah, that's, that's what I agree with. And because of that fact, I realized that I need accountability. And so what, what we're dealing with in some of our culture, and especially in the church culture today, is, is this lack of accountability. We don't want to be accountable. And the greatest accountability that we can have in our life is the Word of God. And then a setting like this. Because, see, when you come into this place, what happens is that, that you begin to build relationships. We talked, Mike talked about that earlier, about relationships. What are relationships? Relationships really are an element of accountability. Because I'll guarantee you, if, if Mike and Kathy Gardner start seeing some things in me, they'd say something. Wouldn't you? We need that. We don't enjoy it, but we need it. We need to have accountability. That's why I say, that's why we we need to be in this book. Because my Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder between spirit and the flesh. See, I can come up with all kinds of canny ideas and theories and everything else, but this is what a line, this was what, what it's the balance. This is the light that tells me whether this is actually true or not or whether it's just something I've come up with. And through the years, I've learned that, that my advice, well, now about two bucks will get you a cup of coffee, and that's about it. But the word of God will set you free. The truth will set you free. Free from what? Free from the inundation of the talking heads of today. So 2020 rolls around. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do this year? What do I do in this time? You know what he said? He said, I want you to listen. I want you to listen. Listen to me and listen to the hearts of people. That's where I realized that many people were intoxicated with fear and anxiety in the same church that I was going to that I'm a part of. It wasn't so much. I understood the the world being intoxicated with fear and anxiety. But what was more concerning to me was the people within the body of Christ were filled with fear, with anxiety. And intoxicated with it. That's what was concerning to me. And so I began to talk to leaders and I said, there's some things you need to address in your churches. Because what it told me was that you haven't been preparing people on how to walk through storms. How to walk through challenges. How to work, how, what do you do when things don't work out the way you thought they should? What do you do? Eleven years ago, I wasn't expecting Renee to die. Unexpectedly. My former wife 
died sitting on our couch. I wasn't expecting that. That was well beyond a storm. But I had to walk through that. And you, you know what sustained me? Because I had a revelation of Jesus. I knew that according to his word, he was for me and not against me. And that's what sustained me. My trust in him. And I said, Lord, 42 years ago, two weeks ago, I was, I was speaking in Kansas City. And they were, during worship, they were singing this song. Um, uh, Abe, you'll probably remember this. Um, oh, I wrote it down. It was... Um, Why can't I see it? It's, it the lyric goes, um, <clears throat> you can have it all. You can have it all. You, uh, don't ask me to sing it, okay? I'm sitting there or standing there in the front row of this church two weeks ago, and we're singing the song, You Can Have It All. And the Lord took me back to 42 years ago, my grandfather's living room. When I was on my knees, and I said, Lord, you can have it all. You can, here I am, I'm a mess, but, but you can have this mess. And he took me up on it. And so it, 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 it hit me two weeks ago, I'm standing there, and I'm singing the song, and, but I'm not just singing the song, I'm, I'm, I'm declaring it out of my heart, is Lord, you can have it all. 42 years later, I'm saying the same thing. You can have it all. You can have it all. See, there must be a level of commitment in our lives. Let me, let me share with you uh, um, uh, four essentials that I think we must have for an irresistible transformational culture. Okay? One is the revelation of Jesus. We've talked about that. Two is creating a place for the presence of God. And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to have this corporate setting we come in. And, I mean, there was a presence of God today. Did you all sense it? Did you sense the presence of God? I mean, all of them, especially on that last song, man, there was just, just the presence of God. And so we create this place of the presence of God through worship and prayer. Is another one, and through the Word, they all—all all three of those—create a presence of God. That's—that's that's why we as leaders are are constantly. It may sound like we're hounding you, <laughs> you know, it's impor- the importance of being in the Word, reading the Word, meditating on the Word, praying, worship, and because it's, it's just don't rely on this corporate setting for that. This. This is like individually. These are things I take responsibility for individually in my life is, is having times where I'm just worshiping God and sitting on my screened-in porch. Just worshiping Him. Just being in the Word and, and just through the Word, just thank you, Lord, for, you know, we made that, that confession today, which is just the Word of God. You start saying those things, you know, God shows up in those ways. 
I remember one of the things Jeff Tadlock taught me. One of the good things Jeff Tadlock taught me. He said this. He said, how you or what you worship God as is how he will show up in your life. If you worship him as the redeemer of your life, he'll show up in redemptive ways. If you worship him as the king of your life, he'll show up in kingly ways in your life. If you worship him as the loving God, he'll show up in very loving ways in your life. Oh, that may, we, may, we may get back to those days and those times. Amen? So, uh, that leads into the third one, which is knowing the voice of God. Do you know the voice of God? Do you know the voice of God? Because God will speak your language. Okay? Hopefully you don't cuss a lot. That's not what I'm saying. God's not going to cuss. Okay? I don't think. But God will use, he will use the things that are, 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 that you relate to. Like, like I'm going to pick on Abe again. God may speak to him in a way through, through, a, through a song or music or something like that. Why? Because that's, that's kind of his DNA. He's kind of this worship music guy. Music's his world. I'm a very practical person. God speaks to me through practical things. You'll say, well, show me a tree. Kind of like this tree. But I know that's a voice of God. And this isn't an event. This is a process of knowing the voice of God. And things. I, w- I was telling Pastor Mike this morning on the way over here. It's like here lately this, this uh, I used to operate more prophetically years ago. And the, for, for some reason, I don't know what it was, but the last eight years or so, I haven't as much. But now it seems like it's returning. You know, at least I think it's the prophetic. <laughs> and God's using these things to show me some things. Like my wife and I were sitting at a restaurant just about a week or so ago, and and we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, um, I see in, in my in my heart or whatever I don't want to call it. I don't necessarily want to call it a vision, but God showed me this this past these couple that are friends of ours that pastor a church in St. Louis. I saw them walking up from the parking lot under the sidewalk. And, and, you know, I'm thinking, oh, made me think of them. It was less than five minutes. Here they come walking up. Same same route, right onto the sidewalk, everything. And, and, I, and I think God's just showing me is that there are things that I want you to see and know, but you're going to have to be attentive to those things in your life. Which leads me to the fourth essential is that we would have an unswerving commitment. That we need to be people of commitment. Not convenience. Commitment. Commitment. That's like a dirty word in our culture. It, that's that's like a derogatory statement. Commitment. 
want you to lead me, but don't dare you tell me what to do. Don't dare ask me to commit to anything. You can have it all, Lord. You can have it all except for this. You can have it all. You can have it all. But I can't do that. You know what I found? The very thing that you tell God that you don't want to do is what he'll put you in a position or a situation of where, yep. Commitment. You know what commitment is for? It's not about what you're doing. It's about what you become. See, because there are certain levels that you can't get to in convenience that commitment will get you to. So here's what commitment is really about. It's about your maturing. Commitment is about maturing you. And so convenience will never get you to the place of maturity. The, the reason that I have some of the things that I have in my life today is because there was a demand put upon me to be committed to something. The reason that I love the place of prayer today is because at one point in my life there was someone put a demand on me to be committed to the place of prayer. I didn't like it. When the pastor, I was at the, we found, uh, Renee and I were part of starting a church back in 1982, us and about five or six other couples. And the first pastor that we had, he was a man of prayer. And, and so we had prayer every week, you know, and that. And, um, you know, he would, he would give the announcement, and, you know, talk, well, we're going to have prayer, you know, if you can make it and everything. And, and uh, he came to me and he said, but it's not optional for you. He said, you will be there. And you'll be there every week. And I'm like, oh, I'm getting paid to do this. What, you're not making a demand for them, but you're making a demand on me. What I, and I grumbled about it. I really did. But I, I, I showed up every week. I made a commitment. And guess what? I would not trade the formation that happened in my life because of that time. I was there when it was 20 below. <laughs> I had worked outside building power lines all day. It would have been real easy to stay home in the comfort and the warmth of my home. But I made a commitment. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, the reason that I can stand here today is because of that commitment. See, God has called you here to this place for something He wants to do in you and something He wants to do through you. But it won't happen unless you make a commitment. Now, I'm not saying that you can't, you know, we can't go to on vacation because we, no. But what I'm saying is commitment's not out here. Commitment's in here. This is where commitment starts is right here in the heart. It's in the heart. 
the church that my wife and I are a part of, you know, we have, we have a small group culture, and they come around and they ask me if I want to lead a small, if we would lead a small group. I'm like, been there, done that. Led a lot of small groups in my life. And then two people start talking to me. One was my wife, and the other one was the Holy Spirit. Dang, they teamed up together against me. Guess what? We lead a small group. And it's never convenient for me. But I'm committed to it. You know what's happened? We're seeing lives transformed. We're seeing amazing things happen through that small group. Why? Because we're willing to be committed to it. In the body of Christ today, we will not get to the place that God has for us and what God is leading us into in these days unless we become committed. Okay? Committed with your butts in the seats committed in the place of prayer, committed in your hearts, committed. Everybody, let's make this declaration of faith. I am committed. I am a committed person. I am committed to all that's in the heart of God. In Jesus' name. Say that every day. Amen. So I think I've gone long enough. You know, Jesus had six beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. My wife has one beatitude. Blessed are the short-winded, for they shall be invited again. She always reminds me of that beatitude. Why don't you stand? Let me pray for you this morning. Tonight, as of right now, I think I want to share with you some things about the importance of the rhythms for your life and understanding the rhythms for your life. There's a Heaven is rhythmic. Do you know that? That's why a lot of times when the depictions of heaven, it's about worship. It's about the angels rejoicing. Why is that? Because music is what? Rhythmic. Okay? It's rhythmic. So there's this phrase. It's called harmonic resonance. You familiar with that? So what that means is like if I put five grand pianos in this room and I tuned middle C all to perfection in every one of those if I went to this one piano here and hit middle C, the middle C chord on this piano would begin to vibrate. Why? Because it's in perfect unity. See, the Bible talks about us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a sound, I'll use that word, in heaven it should be resonating if we are in perfect unity with 
the King of kings and Lord of lords that should be vibrating in our lives right now. And that's I'm going to kind of share along those lines tonight. Okay? All right, Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity <clears throat> just to be here with you, with your beautiful people, with these people who I pray they're, they're like the two men on the road to Emmaus who said, did not our hearts burn within us? God, that's what I pray. I pray that our hearts would burn, that we would be consumed. We'd be a consumed people. And that there would be a life emanating from us that is otherworldly. It's the life of God. It's the life of God that the world needs so badly. Norfolk, Nebraska needs the life of Jesus. And I pray you use us, God, that you would use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Mike. Every head bowed, please. If you're here today, and if you were to die right now, where would you go? Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. A denomination cannot get you to heaven. Being a good person cannot get you to heaven. It's personal relationship with Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God's will for you, God's plan for you is everlasting life, eternal life. And it's so simple. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that's why I want to be sensitive. I, sensitive. I don't want to take for granted that everyone here is born again and hasn't made a decision for Jesus. And it, it is so simple. All you need to do is ask Jesus into your heart. Jesus died on a cross for you. He shed his blood for you. God loves you. I have a friend right now that's, they're going to pull out the, what do you call it? Ventilator, respirator. He just needs to go home. But you know what? I, I, he knows Jesus. He was a Lutheran, but years ago I made sure that he knew Jesus. Do you know Jesus personally? Every head bowed. If you're here today, you say, Pastor Mike, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I want to go to heaven. I want to make sure when I take my last breath, I know where I'm going. If that's you today, I'm not going to belabor this. If that's you today, raise your hand. I'm not going to have you come up here. But if you're here today, you've not made Jesus your Lord. Amen. Okay, everyone, if Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, raise your hands. That's good. 
Don't take for granted the people you work for are saved. Don't take for granted your neighbor knows Jesus. Not in today's times. Amen. Amen. What I'd like to do, be seated, please. We're going to receive a love offering because we love him. We love Pastor Mike. So you'll have an opportunity to sow some seed. Make the church payable to Harvest Church. Every penny goes to our guests. I just can't imagine churches not giving all the offering. <laughs> I just can't believe that. But they do that, but not here. If you need an envelope for your giving, raise your hands. And then tonight we're going to meet at 6 o'clock. Sunday evening service is at 6 o'clock. Amen. And I'm going to say this, and I don't have the date set, but Pastor Hank will be here this fall. You'll be here on a Sunday evening. Amen. It'll be good. I'll let you know more in the days ahead. I called this week and said, Pastor Doug, could we get uh, Hank here in the next 25 years? He says, you can get him here this year. Amen. Pastor Mike was sharing was in a church once where they have the five-fold ministry gifts working together. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. That's remarkable. But that's team. And that's in these last days, it needs to be that way. We need to work together as a team. We need the five-fold ministry gift, but we need your gift. Amen. visiting this morning. God bless you. We hope you can return again. On congratulations to that guy that won the fishing tournament. (laughs) Amen. I'd love to have been there just to sit in the boat and watch you too. funny how you could win a tournament on a Sunday. Just kidding. <laughs> he knows me. I give him a bad time. He knows I love him. But he's, you just can't hold on to people. You just got to let them do their thing. Then they bring you fish. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight. Thank you.